The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back once again to Brutal Nation, the podcast series that where well, I just give a lot of bad comments. That's what I I, I, I figure that's my job from now on. I really don't do anything important. I just make weird fucking comments all you the just time. Sit there on your big ass and try to look pretty, but it doesn't work. Oh, I look pretty. Ask your mom. <laughs> she liked to phone a friend. <laughs> My name is Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the Sasquatch herself, the mighty Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right. You got a bunch. Honestly, you gave me four names, and it sounds like this should be like an easy listening soft rock band. Uh, kind of, yeah, but no. That's what I expect. Some like vicious teenagers. No shit. I'm expecting like yeah. a love song no, to come out of you it. Find out what they did. Kind of like you know a uh, little bit of uh, uh, like Brian Adams or some shit coming out of these motherfuckers. <laughs> Everything I do, I do it for you. you. No, that's is it Michael Bolton that sings Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? No, that's Brian Adams too. That's Brian Adams too. He did a lot of that shit, man. He was a love ballad. That's right. That's that's what the that's what these guys sound yeah, like. Yeah, if to you me. ever wanted to freaking impress a girl in high school, our generation, you'd hold up your boom box and belt Brian Adams. No. Let me tell you what I did. I can play this song Every Rose Has a Thorn. Oh, yeah. That has gotten me more tail throughout high school. In college and even into my adulthood, than almost anything else. Because you, know, you played it for me here, and it you're good at it. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a panty dropper song. Yeah, oh my god, you can play that song, Jesus! I feel moist. It's like yeah, yeah, you do. Because every rose does have its thorn. It does. Just ask Brett Michaels. He until knows. they until they came up with thornless roses, then you go fuck. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, so shoot it at us so we can get through another great yeah. episode. Yeah. So this episode actually involves. Five girls total, okay? But it's the story of um, Melinda Loveless, Lori Tackett, Hope Rippy, and Tony Lawrence, okay? Oh, so they're like a girl band, like a boy band, but, you know. Kind of, a little bit. But it's teenage jealousy and, like, love triangle type crap going on. Um, so yeah, it's I didn't like, really write an introduction, so I'm kind of winging it. It's like barely 18 porn. Is that what we're talking? Um, about? not even 18 porn. Oh, chick on chick porn. That's too. called illegal and yeah. a felony. Yeah. Well, they don't videotape it, thank goodness. But it's like chick on chick porn, so it's your cup of tea. <laughs> totally, dude. Man. I like chick on chick porn. Yeah, that's freaking that. awesome. <laughs> I do not give a fuck. No. Um. Anyways, hang on. Don't get my mac and cheese when I should now. At least it's not meat, so. <laughs> I'm going to introduce the players. I'm going to start with a girl by the name of Shonda Renee Scherer. S-H-A-R-E-R. What are you eating over there? Whenever I order something from Sweetwater, the music company, they always send me a little packet of candy. Oh. And I got a new pedal. Oh, there you go. Not an important one. It's just a foot switch for my black star. Switch between the channels. <laughs> okay. Anyways, she was born in Prineville, Kentucky at Prineville Community Hospital on June 6, 1979. Now, her parents were Steve Scherer and Jacqueline Vo- Vaught, Voigt, V-A-U-G-H-C, I think it's Voigt. Voigt. Yeah. 
have a friend who has that last name, and I should have known. So in the fifth and sixth grade, she attended St. Paul School in Louisville, Kentucky. She was quite the athlete, as the majority of her time was spent being active in cheerleading, volleyball, and softball. I bet you she was. It was a girl love triangle. <laughs> a lot of diving going on. Cliff diving? <laughs> a little muff diving going on? Yeah. So Shonda's <laughs> parents divorced, and her mother uh, married another man, and they all moved to Louisville. Louisville. Um, so, hang on. Oh, fuck me. Um, that marriage didn't last very long, and after it ended in June of 1991, Shonda and her mother moved to New Albany, Indiana, which was only about 5.5 miles away. It's just like right across the border from Louisville. Um, upon arriving in New Albany, Shonda enrolled at Hazelwood Middle School. Uh, she didn't attend that school for very long because early in the school year, she transferred to Our Lady of Perpetual Help School, which is a Catholic school located in New Albany. And once there, she chose to join the female basketball team. I don't even know how to fucking write today. Yours not female wrestling? Shut up. I'm just asking for a friend. Yeah, for yourself. So Hold on. I hate you. Are you done? Not yet. Keep going. I fucking hate you, Scott. Almost. Scott Alexander, stop it. <laughs> I will pull out all four names for the first time on the air. I'm eating candy. I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. Now we have Melinda Loveless. Melinda Loveless, not Lovelace, Melinda Loveless, was born on October 28, 1975. So she's my age. Yeah. In New Albany, Indiana. Her parents were Marjorie and Larry uh, Loveless. I don't know why that says Melinda. Um, and she was the youngest of their three daughters. Okay. Now, during the Vietnam War, um, Larry was drafted into the United States Army. And unlike a lot of other soldiers who were returning from serving from in Vietnam, because, you know, a lot of Americans treated them like shit. You know, called them baby killers, all that shit. When uh -huh. they were just doing what they were told to do. Now, Larry was actually regarded as a hero when he came home. Yeah, which was rare. And Marjorie later described, but Marjorie later described Larry as a pervert. Considering the era, it wasn't uncommon for people to think that way because apparently he enjoyed wearing her and her daughter's underwear and makeup. Now, wearing the daughter's underwear, I think, is perverted. Wait a minute. I like wearing your mom's panties on my head. How's that? I don't see. I, I don't see a the problem. Biggest pervert I know. I just, I, I just don't see a problem there. That's all I'm saying. Don't see a problem. You're a dick. I hate you. So, um, anyways, Larry was also not capable or of remaining monogamous. Um, I don't know why that's not working, but um, with Larry's infidelity came a mixture of jealousy and fascination when he watched Marjorie have sex with other. Men and women. They were swingers, too. I Honestly, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, but if you're going to be a swinger, you cannot be jealous. That is true. Because it's all it's just sex at that point. It's not, not true. In, you know, intimate, you know. Correct. Correct mundo. Yeah, so the fact that he had the fascination wasn't the problem. It was the jealousy that was the problem. So um, then after Larry got back from the war, he got a job working for the Southern Railroad. Um, and his work history with them was irregular at best. 
And it was irregular because this job allowed him to work whenever it was most convenient for him. So, like, if he didn't want to go to work, oh, the fuck well. <laughs> um, in 1972, he got a job working as a probationary officer with the New Albany Police Department. However, that job didn't last very long either. He was only there for eight months when he and his partner assaulted a black man that Larry accused of sleeping with Marjorie. Is, there, is that bad? What? You hear my silence. Not because he's black, you racist. I wasn't being racist. It's, a, it's wrong to assault a man, period. And I'm sorry, if they're swingers. No, that's true. You know, you kind of expect that shit to happen. Okay. No, that's true. Yeah. So in 1988, Larry worked briefly as a mail carrier. However, he quit that job after working very little for very little for only three months. Like during that three months, very little. As a mail carrier, he brought most of the mail he was supposed to deliver back to his house where he destroyed it. Because apparently he didn't want to deliver it. He just wanted to go back home. <laughs> Lazy all motherfucker. I always want to do the same thing. Now, throughout Melinda's childhood, the family lived in or near New Albany, Indiana. Beginning in 1974, Marjorie only worked intermittently. That's the mother. Um, while both parents were working, the family was actually financially stable, and they were living in a house in the upper middle class suburb. I don't even want to say this name. Of Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. <laughs> I love that. There's a something knob in in Arkansas too. I can't remember what it's called. Bald knob, I think. Mm, I thought it was called Sister Knob. This fucking Arkansas. Anyways, so when Larry worked, he actually didn't combine his income with Marjorie's for the family's needs, but he did make the mortgage payments. And the rest of the money he earned went towards the impulse spending on himself. And the majority of those impulse purchases were for firearms, motorcycles, and cars. I don't honestly see a problem with that. Well, I don't either. However, you're the head of the family. You should be contributing more than just the mortgage. You know what I mean? He's doing his part. Man alone. Oh, shut up. So in 1980, Larry filed for bankruptcy. That was right around the time that their extended family members said that Melinda's, uh, that loveless, the loveless daughters, uh, would visit their houses hungry. Mm. Um, it was apparent to them at the time that they were not getting enough food at home. Okay, now that I have a problem with. Yeah. But buying guns and cars, you motherfucker, feed you fucking get. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm talking about right there. No, that I have a problem with. So, as I previously stated, throughout most of their relationship, Larry was unfaithful to Marjorie. Even then, they seemed to have what today we would refer to as an open marriage. Uh, the two would often visit bars in the Louisville area, and Larry would pretend to be either a doctor or a dentist, and on those occasions, he would introduce Marjorie as simply his girlfriend. Okay? When Larry and Marjorie weren't going to bars, he would, quote, share her with his friends from work, and she said that she always found these men to be, like, very disgusting. You know? Which I can see that, you know? Uh, during one of the orgies they had with another couple at the house, Marjorie attempted to commit suicide. She would go on to attempt several more suicides throughout Melinda and her sister's childhoods. Holy fuck. Yeah. Once, when Melinda was <laughs> nine years old, 
Larry forced Marjorie to participate in a gangbang. Okay, which we all know those can be kind of brutal. You know, can be. Can be. Yeah. So immediately afterwards, she attempted to drown herself. Following that incident, she refused to have sex with her husband for approximately one month. And her abstinence lasted until he violently raped her and made the girls watch. What the fuck? Okay, no. At first, I had had homies back like, hey, you want to buy some cars and guns? Not a big deal. No, no. You want an open relationship? Not a big deal. Want to wear your wife's panties? Go for it, dude. Yeah, I don't care if you want to fucking, if you, if you want to lick a, a homeless guy's butthole. It's none of my business, but making your kids watch that stuff and making them starve? No, kiss some ass. Yeah, man. making them watch you rape their mother. Yeah, that's a bit much. Yeah. So, um, during the summer of 1986, there was one time Marjorie wouldn't let Larry go home with two women he met at a bar. He responded by beating her so severely she had to be hospitalized. Well, I bet you she'll listen next time. Shut up. As <laughs> a kidding. result of that, he was convicted of battery. Um, now, reports don't clearly... Why do I fucking say... I, I must have typed this stoned. Do, reports don't clearly indicate the extent of abuse Larry inflicted on his daughters and other children. However, there are various court testimonies that made a number of claims. Um... Apparently, he fondled Michelle, one of Melinda's sisters, when she was an infant. Then, early in their marriage, he molested Marjorie's 13-year-old sister. Um, He molested his niece, Teddy, from the time she was 10 years old until she was 14. Both of Melinda's older sisters said that he molested them when they were younger. And although Melinda never admitted he molested her... She did sleep in bed with him until he abandoned the family when she was 14 years old. Jesus so you know something was going on. Yeah, there's something going on with that shit. God yeah. damn. Because I've talked about it before and you've talked about it. The only time I share a bed with my son when he got over, I think, like not, you know, between eight and nine years old was when we were in a hotel room with one bed. That makes sense, yeah. You know, because it was like the last room we could get. So... Larry, oh, in court, Teddy described one particular incident when Larry apparently tied up all three of his daughters in a garage and went on to rape each one of them in succession. What the fuck? However, the sisters didn't confirm the accuracy of her testimony. You know, which makes me wonder, like, maybe it did happen, but they were too ashamed of it themselves Mm -hmm. or they were scared of him. Yeah, no, totally. You know? Totally, totally. Yeah. So Larry was known to be verbally abusive to his daughters. Once, when Michelle was seven years old, he fired a hand. What the fuck are you doing? What? Nothing. Do your, do your job. Read your goddamn thing. Do your job, bitch. So yeah. once, when Michelle was seven years old, he fired a handgun in her direction, intentionally missing her. And he would also, oh, dear God. He would also Do your make the point Don't pay of embarrassing me. them in front of other family members. Now, check out what he used to do, Scott. Pay attention to me, T-Rex. Are you moosing it? Are you not a moose? Oh, I'm very moose. <laughs> you are so weird right now. So anyways, you want to know how he embarrassed them? How? He would do so by finding their underwear. And when their relatives were around, he would make a point of smelling them. 
Tasty. That's soup. That's what that is. That's your daughter's underwear. No, that's gross. That is disgusting. So when Melinda was five (laughs) years old, for two years, the family became deeply involved in the Graceland Baptist Church. We all know that's a Southern Baptist fucking white Baptist church, right? Jesus fucking great. Yep. While they were members, Larry and Marjorie gave the minister a full confession of their transgressions. And during that time, they also completely renounced their drinking and swinging. Okay? It's like, stop drinking, stop swinging, monogamous, all that shit. Stop molesting kids. You're not Catholic. Oh. This is a Baptist church. You're not Catholic. (laughs) Yeah, wait a minute. So during that time, Larry also became a lay preacher, and Marjorie became the school nurse. At their church school. Hello, nurse. Yeah. Anyway, like later, the church arranged for Melinda to be taken to a motel room with a 50-year-old man on the pretense of receiving a five-hour exorcism. You know this man probably touched her very inappropriately. Yeah, there's no exorcism with that. That yeah. uh, that that reeks of uh, fucking child molestation that and felonies. reeks of human trafficking. Yeah, yeah. that's what that is. Mm-hmm. God damn it. I think that they're Catholics disguised as Baptists. Well, they're already perverted swingers. So, I mean, and I'm not saying her his mother, her mother had a lot to do with it. I just think her mother was subservient. Oh, totally. Because of the abuse. So, Larry also became a church marriage counselor and acquired quite a I know, right? Acquired quite a reputation for being very forward with the women. His tendency to You know to the be- best way to keep your marriage together, don't you, Margaret? Hold on. Rip. If I play with your boobs. It's Marjorie. <laughs> oh, no. His marriage. Yeah. You yeah, got being it. a marriage counselor. <laughs> and his tendency to be suggestive towards the females peaked when he eventually attempted to rape one. After he attempted, after the attempted rape incident, Larry and Marjorie chose to leave the church. Really? At which point they returned to their former... <laughs> Professions, drinking, and open marriage. A leopard doesn't change his spots. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, he was a pervert from the beginning. He's not going to not be a pervert. Uh, You're not going to go from molesting your kids and shit to going, Jesus took the wheel and I'm a better guy now. No, you're just, no. Not not overnight. That's not not going to fucking happen. Jesus take the wheel, that one? No. Yeah. So in November of 1990, uh, Marjorie caught Larry spying on Melinda and one of her friends. In response, she attacked him with a knife. You know what that's like. I do, but this motherfucker's got it coming. Yeah, I totally didn't have it coming. Have it coming. When, when when that chick tried to shank me, I didn't have it coming. No, seriously, she like, didn't have to cut a bitch. No, like here's the thing with with, with that situation, and we we'll, we can talk about that on a different episode. But um, is that I do enough shit. That you that, deserve. That I do deserve to fucking like somebody to beat me or stab me. Yeah. Totally. Like, uh, some like of the shit with that I do, me every day. Yeah. Some of the shit that I do, if, if somebody like shot or stabbed me over it, I'd be pissed. But I'd be like, I kind of had that shit coming. Yeah. This time here, not the case. It was not, not even, no. Just, I, out of the blue? Kind of, yeah. It was over a fucking stupid ass conversation I was having with a friend of mine in Kentucky. And because she said, um, something like, um, I'm going to bed. Okay, good night, darling. Something like that. It was something innocuous. I get this. You didn't tell her you had a girlfriend. Well, she doesn't have to know because she already knows because we're all over Facebook. Well, you should have told her because that's inappropriate. So what's inappropriate about that? There's nothing inappropriate. You want to go to Kentucky and fuck her? Uh, no. No, no, I don't. 
I was just saying, you said good night to me last. You said night night sweets to me last night yeah. on the text when I told you I was home. Well, it's because she had said it to me, and I didn't even say that back to her. So then I woke up with her wanting to fucking stab me with the butcher's knife. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, good times. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. So um, let's see here. Uh, so she tried to attack him with a knife. He attempted to grab it from her, and as a result. He wound up in the hospital. Good. She attempted to commit suicide again, and her daughters had to call the authorities. Okay? Now, it was after this incident that Larry chose to file for a divorce and move to Avon Park, Florida. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Go fight a tree naked. <laughs> Without a shirt on. Yeah. So when he left, Melinda was just crushed, the daughter. Uh, she was even more devastated when he remarried. And after he left, he did send her letters for a while, each one playing on her emotions. Okay? Now, however, he did eventually sever all contact with her. Well, damn, where's Dick? Yeah. Well, you know, my husband did it to my son, so whatever. So then we have Mary Laureen um, Tackert. But she went by uh, Lori. Okay? This is her name was Tackett. It did say, I, it is Tackett, and I was going to correct myself, but then you corrected me. So thank you for You're that. You're welcome. Hang on. Okay. Anyways, um, Mary Laureen Tackett was born in Madison, Indiana on October 5th, 1974. So she's between you and I. Her mother, not that way. <laughs> Her mother, sandwich. check this out was a devout, fundamentalist, Pentecostal Christian. Now, this sect, because I know what Pentecostal is, mm -hmm. okay? But this sect accepts that the Holy Bible is the, quote, inherent word of God. However, unlike other fundamentalists, they also believe that the importance of the believer's direct experience of God is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So like the gifts, like talking in tongues and all that crap. <laughs> So Lori's father. <laughs> I can talk in tongues. Shut up. <laughs> Lori's father was a factory worker who acquired two felony convictions in the '60s. Okay, which they don't say what they are, but I have a felony, you know, and I'm not that. I'm reformed. Affirmative female inmate. Fuck off. Negative female inmate. <laughs> yeah, Lori claimed that she had been molested on at least two occasions. When she was a child, at five years old, and again at 12 years old. Now, my whole thing is, who molested her? Because is it two separate people? Yeah, that's a little because concerning. That, to me, if it's the same person, it would have been continuous. Con yeah, consecutive. Yeah. So I didn't get that information, and I didn't have time to confer with my researcher. So, But in May of 1989, her mother discovered that she was changing into jeans at school because apparently she wasn't allowed to wear them. Oh. And I have a little story about that in a second. And after confronting Lori later that evening, she attempted to strangle her daughter. Now, I have a story about that because there was, when I moved out and lived with my aunt and uncle, who I've already talked about, my uncle was physically abusive, my aunt was verbally and emotionally abusive to me, and my cousin was sexually molesting me. You know... The oldest cousin, you know, and the youngest cousin was very verbally abusive to me, too. Um, the only one that wasn't was my favorite cousin, their middle son. 
And you and I have talked about him quite often. Um, kind of explains a lot. Now I know why you're abusive to me, just perpetuating the cycle. I am not abusive to you at all. Oh, I can prove it. Do not mention that, but go ahead. Sorry, I get a tear by eye when I have to think about the abuse I got there. <laughs> Composure. Deep breath, Scotty. I think your mom should lay naked in bed with me. Oh, my God. This is abusive to me. No, it's to me. You're... You're not, I'm crying too because it's so traumatic. You're no. not. You're not cock blocking me. You're clam jamming me. I'm being clam jammed. Hurt. I don't know why. You want to know why? I think it's I'm the, pregnant. It's it's the pain and suffering from you clam jamming I and blocking. I can't get pregnant, so people don't take me seriously when I say that. You're you're blocking the love between me and your mom and me clearing her off a place to sit right here. See her? Oh, right there. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> See the abuse I take with every girls. fiber in my body. Now I wish I had a butcher knife. I would stab you right now. That's because you want to block my love. <laughs> Whatever. I'm gonna beaver dam you. You're gonna beaver dam me. That's it. <laughs> You're beaver damming me. Ain't right. Ain't right, so man. So anyway, you need to go to that church. You need some Jesus. Anyway, so what I'm trying to say about that whole situation is there was a year in high school. I think it was my freshman year or sophomore year that I was told I was too fat. To wear jeans. Oh, fuck. And so they made me wear those like polyester, multi-rainbow colored granny pants. And I played the clip. No, it must have been in middle school. It must have been my eighth grade year. Because I, not ashamed to admit that I did this, I hid a pair of jeans or like sweatpants in my clarinet case and put my clarinet in my backpack and changed on the bus. I would just tell my friend, look out for me because I'm changing right here. I don't give a fuck. Because that is abusive in itself because I would have gotten bullied. No, totally. You it's, know? It's, it's setting you up for failure. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like demeaning to me and like making me feel less, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Because my self-esteem by the time I left there was non-existent, period. Um, so Lori claimed that she had been molested. Oh, wait, no. Let's say I'm, I'm complaining that I'm not being molested. Oh my god! I'm just saying, a complaint. I tried to offer to molest you. Not you, night. by your mom. You won't let your mom molest <laughs> me. Some bullshit. Whatever. God damn it! Me I, and my researcher said that we were ready and available, and you were like, "No." But it's not your mom. Whatever, dude. So after that incident, social workers became involved and Lori's parents agreed to having unannounced visits in order to ensure child abuse wasn't occurring in the house. Okay. Um, even then, Lori and her mother had periodic conflicts, you know, because the fundamental Christian. At one point, her mother went to Hope Rippy's house, which is another player in this. Um, after learning that Hope's father had purchased a Ouija board for the girls, you know, fundamental Christian, not going to uh-huh. happen, her mother demanded that the board be burnt and that the entire Rippy house get exercised. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, even if that was my intention as a, if I was in the Rippy house and I said, you know what, we're going to burn this, her coming there and demanding that would automatically flip my bitch switch. I'd be like, look here, you fundamentalist twat. Yeah. 
I will do what the fuck I want in my house. My house, you don't pay my bills. Turn your fucking ass around. My house, my rules, bitch. That's right. I'd be telling her to piss off. So anyways, as one would imagine, Lori became increasingly rebellious after she turned 15. Uh, Not only that, she became fascinated with the occult. Uh, which I can understand as a fundamental, having that extreme Christian mother. Oh, totes. You would kind of go the opposite direction. Like uh-huh. I'm talking with my hands again, doing my push-ups. <laughs> um, anyways, so she often attempted to impress her friends by pretending to be possessed by the spirit of, quote, Deanna the vampire. <coughs> she began self-harming especially in early 1991 when she started dating a girl who was heavily involved in the practice. I just got to think of something. You're possessed by be- by Benny the Beaver Dammer because you keep on stopping your mom and I from loving. I keep dropping mac and cheese, but I know your dog will eat it. So. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> Not worried. Um, so when her parents found out about the self-mutilation... They checked her into a hospital on March 19, 1991. The hospital prescribed her an antidepressant and released her. Okay? Two days after being released, Lori was with her girlfriend and Tony Lawrence, who's another player in this, when she cut her wrist so deeply she had to be returned to the hospital. After the hospital treated her for her wound, they admitted her to the psych ward. That's when she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and confessed to experiencing hallucinations since she was a young child. They discharged her on April 12th. Okay? So she was in there for a little less than a month. In September of 1991, she dropped out of high school, and in October, she went to live with various friends in the Louisville area, and that's where she met Melinda. But they did not become friends until late November. In December, she moved back to Madison, Indiana, on the promise that her father would buy her a car. She still spent most of her time in Louisville and New Albany, most of it with Melinda. Okay? They bonded over sacrificing a cat? I don't know how they bonded. Because they're lesbians? Yeah. You know, a little bit of... That was a pussy joke. You realize that, right? I do realize that, Scott. Okay. Just thought I'd lead you down that joke trail. You're bugging the shit out of me. <laughs> How can I? I am. A, I'm a peach. <laughs> a rotten one <laughs> to the core. Oh man! So Hope Anna, we're talking about Hope now. Hope Anna Rippy was born on June 9th, nineteen seventy six. So you're younger than me. In Madison, Indiana, her father was an engineer at a power plant, and we didn't get any information on her mother. We were able to determine that her parents got a divorce in, ni- in February 1984. At that time, Hope moved to Quincy, Michigan, which is right there. Jesus Christ, you in the fucking it's hand. It's the middle of the wrist area, right above the wrist. You've been waiting for that, haven't you? I did. You? I couldn't wait to do it. I saw it last time. I'm like, oh, I'm still going to do the hand. It's fucking retarded, man. <laughs> it looks like a mitten. That's, I'm not lying. With her mother and siblings. No, she didn't live in the Uper. She lived on the wrist. No, I'm still stuck on the in the Uper. That's just it's fucking retarded. <laughs> yeah, that's that section right here above the yeah. Yeah, that's in that's yeah. not that's above the Yeah, yeah. that's above. Um so at that time oh, I already said that. Um with her mother and her siblings, and she remained there 
for three years. She later claimed that living with her family in Michigan was somewhat turbulent. Um, when Hope's parents resumed their relationship in Madison in 1987, upon returning, she was reunited with her friends Lori and Tony, whom she had known since she was a child. She didn't care that her parents thought Lori was a bad influence on her. As with the other girls, Hope began to self-harm when she was 15 years old. So you're seeing a pattern here with these girls. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. abusive I'm, families, self-harm. I'm betting there's some molestation with Hope, too. That's, that, that's just oh, what I'm sure. I'm, I'm thinking. sure. Because if you're self-harming, there is some extensive abuse there. You know what I mean? Um, I wasn't into the self-harm, but my sister was. But we were both extensively abused as children, you know? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, not cool, but no, I'm following. I'm following the bouncing ball. Oh, you're light. tracking? Yep. Okay, now let's talk about Tony Lawrence. Tony was born in Madison, Indiana on February 14th, 1976. She's a Valentine baby. Her father was a boiler maker or person who makes, assembles, and repairs boilers. Okay, not the drink. <laughs> she and Hope were friends since early childhood. Um, when Tony was nine years old, she was abused by a relative. She was 14 years old when she was raped by a teenage boy. However, for the rape, the police were only able to issue an order to keep the boy away from her. I'm wondering if it's because he was a minor too. And you know what I mean? And they have the crap. Sorry. Is that better? Uh, we'll find out. Keep talking. Yeah, whatever. After the rape, Tony... Much. Huh? Much better. Actually. Okay, yeah, I had to raise it. After the rape, Tony also went into counseling. However, she didn't follow through with it. When she was in the eighth grade, she became promiscuous, started to self-harm, and attempted to commit suicide. Pattern. Birds of a feather, man. That's yeah. why, that's why I'm, I, I highly suspect, I can't prove it, of course, that hope there was some molestation oh, going yeah. on. If you're going to self-harm, like I said... There is well, some severe abuse. Even beyond the self-harm part. Oh, yeah. Like I said, birds of a feather. That yeah. People tend to follow people yeah. who have a similar pattern. Right. And I don't care what Melinda says. I believe she was molested by her father, too. I believe so, too. Because he's not going to molest two and not the third. And I sleep agree. with the third in the bed till she's 14 and not touch her. No, I, I, I totally agree. You know, uh, we can go beyond that to prove my point. The D&D geeks who oh, all yeah. get together. Okay? Why are they friends? Because they all play D&D. They share, that com- oh, yeah. they, they share that common personality trait yeah. that attracts them to that. Right. Um, people who are into uh, football, mm-hmm. they share that commonality. They share that trait. That, that's their interest. Um, it, there's got to be things that attract people to each other. Mm-hmm. And for these four girls, I'm... I would be willing to bet hard-earned money that all of them mm-hmm. have been molested. Oh, yeah. Or or well, in, in some way. I'm not even saying by the parents. No. But by somebody right. within that family that's close. Yeah. Because something had to trigger yeah. the everything that they share. And yeah. you're not going to see half of them think, yeah, I was molested. And the other half going, I was not molested. That's not going to happen. Right. Not going to fucking no, happen. No, it is true. I mean, and, I mean, I'll relate it back to, you know, the me and the people I got in trouble with is we were all searching for that place to belong. You know what I mean? And we found it with each other. 
And, and we it, ended up all getting in trouble together. And you guys found out that you belong in prison. <laughs> Pretty much. Affirmative female inmate. Some of us longer than others, but you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, in now we're going to talk up to the events that led up to that tragic incident. In 1990, Melinda met and began... What are you doing? Dot, I don't want to know about you rubbing your nipples and your chest hair. Scott, stop, stop it. In 1990, Melinda met and began dating a girl by the name of Amanda Haverin. After her father... Stop it. You can turn off that light. I get blinded by it every time I look up at you. That better? A little bit, but I'm like, can't see now. <laughs> bitch, 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 bitch. So after her father left and her mother got remarried, she became so erratic and depressed that she was in counseling. <laughs> she had even started getting into fights at school. Mm-hmm. Okay. In March of 1991, Melinda came out of out to her mother. Okay. Although her mother was fierce at first, she eventually came to accept it. All right. Now, um, in the fall of 1990, Melinda's relationship with Amanda deteriorated. And Melinda came to associate this deterioration with Shanda Scherer, the young girl. You know, the first one we talked about? Yep. So Amanda and Shanda, Shanda met early in the school year when they got into a fight. However, they became friends while they were in detention. For the altercation. You know how girls are. Mm-hmm. They were like, they, they, this is what happened. I'm waiting. Hear me out. Don't judge. <laughs> they called each other out. They rubbed each other down with oil. Do a little bit of wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. They were in detention. And uh, I think Melinda came out a little bit to uh, Shanda, too. And said, hey, I have an idea. Hear me out. You've got a skirt on. I've got time. You've got time. Let's wrestle some more. <laughs> so anyways, Melinda immediately. No, no beaver dam in there. So when Melinda immediately became jealous of Amanda and Shanda's relationship. In early October, Shandra, Shanda and Amanda, or no. Yeah, Shanda and Amanda. That is like confusing as fuck. Um, where was I? Oh, Shanda and Amanda attended a school dance where Melinda found them and confronted them. Okay? So, although Amanda and Melinda never formally ended their involvement, Melinda began dating an older girl. Oh, there you go. Okay? Now, Melinda... But Melinda also became increasingly jealous when Amanda and Shanda went to a festival together in late October. Holy shit. And she began to discuss killing Shanda... And threatened Shanda in public. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay? That's normal. Yeah. Concerned about their daughter's relationship with <laughs> Amanda, Shanda's parents arranged for her to transfer to the Catholic school in late November. Because they wanted her to be molested. Yeah. And the See, girls... a, there's a whole list of... And they sent her to the house of molestation. Anyways, they usually don't molest girls there. You never know the nuns. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the girls actually started drifting apart in December. With Melinda and Amanda never reformed their relationship. Okay? That's what led up to the events. Now, the events of January 10th to January 11th, 1992. The year before I graduated. So, on January 10th, Tony Lawrence, Hope Rippey, and Lori 
take Tackett drove in Lori's car from Madison, Indiana, to Melinda's house in New Albany. Now, Hope and Tony, while friends of Lori, had not yet met Melinda. However, upon arrival, they did borrow some of her clothes, and she showed them a knife and told them she was going to scare Shanda with it. Okay? All right. Now, none of the girls, except for Melinda, had ever met Shanda. Although Lori already knew of the plan to intimidate the 12-year-old, because Shanda's only 12 at this time. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm thinking they're like 16, 17 years These old. These other girls are. That's fucked up. Hey, yeah. Keep going. Which kind of confuses me because Amanda and Melinda were together. Okay. Which tells me Amanda's older too, which I think her relationship with Shanda was platonic and just friends. You never know. I don't judge. I know, but that, you know, because that's kind of a 17 to 12 is kind of a, you know, for that's girls. That's a pretty big. Yeah. That's a. Yeah, I guess that that's a pretty big uh, And girls aren't usually attracted to younger, especially girls with daddy issues. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. That's a, so, that's a whole lot of weird clam dipping going on right there. Oh, my God. Just trying to absorb all the information. Yeah. Carry Anyways. on, crackers. No, okay, 12-year-old girl. So Melinda explained to the other girls, you know, Hope and Tony, that she disliked Shanda for being a copycat and for stealing her girlfriend. Okay. Now, Lori let Hope drive them to Shanda's house in Jeffersonville, Indiana, stopping at a McDonald's restaurant to ask for directions. All right. They arrived at Shanda's house shortly before dark, and Melinda instructed Hope and Tony to go to the door, introduce themselves as friends of Amanda's, and invite Shanda to come with them to see her girlfriend, who was waiting for them at a place called the Witch's Castle. Which I'll explain what that is in a minute. Now, Shanda said that she could not go because her parents were still awake and told the girls to come back around midnight. Melinda was angry at first, but Hope and Tony assured her that they could return for Shanda later. All right. Now, the four girls, this is like so convoluted. The four girls crossed the river to Louisville and went to a punk rock concert at the Audubon Skate Park near Interstate 65. They don't say who the band was, so whatever. Um, Now, Lawrence and Rippy quickly lost interest in the music and went to the parking lot. Tony and Hope uh, quickly lost interest in the music and went to the parking lot outside the skate park where they engaged in sexual activities with two boys in Lori's car. Okay. So that would be difficult. Hey Amen. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Although in the nineties they did have bench seats. Yeah. 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 I get it now because it's like because I'm thinking of the console in the middle. I'm thinking that's gonna be oh, difficult. No, trust me, the bench seats. You can accomplish a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> Just takes a little bit of trial and error and determination. A lot of determination. Are you done? A ton of determination. Are you done? Yes. No, you're not. I am. Go ahead. Okay. Anyways. And also exactly a lot of I lubrication. That also helps. A lot of what? Lubrication. Oh, my God. Yeah. Eventually. Oh, and it helps with the hanging their head out the window. Like a dog. Like a dog. <laughs> you're so bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I had my Jeep, I had sex in the back of it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Dang, you know, I would think your customers would take you to a cheap hour by out the hour hotel, but okay, yeah, whatever. They weren't customers, bitch. 
Anyways. Now, um, where was, oh, eventually the girls left for Shanda's house again. And during the ride, Melinda said that she could not wait to kill Shanda. However, Melinda also said that she found Shanda attractive and would like to have sex with her and that she intended to use the knife to frighten her, which all of that made no sense to me. It's like, okay, you're sexually attracted to her. You want to have sex with her, but you want to threaten, frighten her, and then you want to kill her. Okay, I'm glad to see I'm not the only one who's really fucking confused because that just... Yeah. That's like four storylines going on all at once, and I'm just, uh, okay, no, no, continue. Yeah, Fuck no. Just, I'm, I'm done yeah. with that one. Just go. So when they arrived, it gets even more fucked up. When they arrived at Shanda's house at 1230 a.m., Tony refused to go to the door and retrieve her. So Lori and Hope went. Melinda, who had previously harassed Shanda near many times, hid under a blanket in the backseat of the car with the doll knife. The knife was dull, by the way, uh, which is important here. Now, Shanda was waiting for Lori and Hope, and Hope told her that Amanda was waiting at the witch's castle. So Shanda was reluctant yet agreed after changing her clothes. Melinda was in the back seat, like I said, hiding with, under a blanket with a knife. And when Shanda got into the car, she put the knife to her throat and, drove, and they drove towards Utica, Indiana, and the Witch's Castle. Now, the Witch's Castle was a ruined stoned house, also known as Mistletoe Falls. Okay? It's located on an isolated hill overlooking the Ohio River, and it was an occasional hangout for local teenagers. And Lori had told the girls that legend said the house was once owned by nine witches, and the townspeople burned the house to get rid of them. Okay? Now, uh, now at the witch's castle, they took Shanda in, bound her arms and legs with rope, and when she started to cry, the girls were scared by... He- oh, she had started to cry, and the girls saw headlights of passing cars and got scared. So they left and took Shanda with them near in their car near Lori's house, okay? They have this girl tied up, they stop for gas, and then they get lost for a while before they finally made their way back to Madison, okay? Now, Lori... And took them to a garbage dump off a logging road in a densely forested area. Now, and Tony and Hope were frightened when they got there and stayed in the car as Melinda and Lori made Shanda strip all of her clothes off. Then Melinda beat her with her fists, and then Melinda repeatedly slammed Shanda's face into her knee, cutting Shanda's mouth on her own braces. So that, like, took a lot of, you know, force. Then Melinda tried to slash Shanda's throat, but the knife was too dull, okay? And Rippy, uh, Hope came out of the car to hold Shanda down at that point. Melinda and Lori took turns stabbing Shanda in the chest with this dull knife. They then strangled her with a rope until she was unconscious. They placed her in the trunk and told the other girls she was dead. Okay, now they went to Lori's nearby home, went inside to drink soda and clean themselves. They realized that Shanda had come, you know, regained consciousness and was screaming in the trunk. 
So Lori went out with a paring knife, you know, those little tiny yeah. bladed knives. I've got a couple of them. Yeah. And stabbed her several more times. Jesus fucking Coming Christ. in a few minutes later, covered in blood. Fucking psycho Sally right there. Yeah. Fuck. So after she washed up, she got out her rune stones because, you know, she's a vampire and told the girls futures with them, like gave them their fortune. Like, you will soon go to prison, you dumbass bitches. You just committed a felony. <laughs> We're going to get busted. You guys are fucked. Yeah, there's way more. So then Tony and Hope stayed behind as Lori, you okay? Lori and Melinda went, quote, country cruising at 2.30 a.m., driving to the nearby town of Cannon. Okay? All right, I'm following. I'm picking up. I hear you chirping. I'm Big still Bird. a little confused, but okay. Now, Shanda continued making crying and gurgling noises, so Lori stopped the car. Shanda sat up, covered in blood, and her eyes rolled into the back of her head, but she couldn't speak because she'd been stabbed so many fucking times, right? In the chest and everything. I'm sure she's her lungs are collapsing. Totally, man. Yeah. So Lori then beat her with a tire iron until she was silent. It is also believed that Shanda was sodomized with the same tire iron used to beat her. She related to William Bonin. I don't know, dude. It's just frightening what they did to this That's girl. They fucking up. tortured her. That's why I don't trust teenagers, man. Like, seriously. They're yeah. All fucking little monsters. Especially teenage girls. So monsters. they returned to Lori's house just before daybreak to clean up again. Now, Hope asked about what happened to Shanda and Lori laughingly told them about the torture and the conversation woke up Lori's mother who yelled at her daughter for being out so late and bringing home the girls. Didn't care what they were talking about. So Lori agreed to take the girls home. Great parenting. Man. Yeah. She actually drove to a burn pile near her house and showed the other girls Shanda. Tony refused to look, okay? And Rip Hope, Rippy, sprayed Shanda with Windex and taunted her by saying, you're not looking so hot now, are you? Spraying Windex on her wounds. I mean, that's so she's vinegar still alive? and shit. Yeah, at that point, she's still alive. Jesus fucking Christ, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Wait till what happens next. The girls then drove to a gas station near Madison Consolidated High School, pumped some gas into the car, and bought a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. Lori went outside, emptied the bottle, and filled it with gas. Okay? Now, they drove north of Madison, past Jefferson Proving Ground, to a place with which Hope was familiar off US-421. <clears throat> And on what was called Lemon Road. They placed Shanda still alive in a blanket and carried her into a field by the gravel road. Lori made Hope pour the gasoline on her and then they set her on fire. What the fuck, yeah. man? Melinda was not convinced that Shanda was dead. So they returned a few minutes later to pour the rest of the gasoline on her. The girls then went to McDonald's at 9.30 a.m. for breakfast, and they all laughed about how Shanda looked like one of the sausages they were eating. Yeah. Fucked the fuck up, right? I got no fucking words. Yeah. Tony, horrified, called a friend and told her about the murder. 
Lori then dropped Tony and Hope off at their homes and returned home with Melinda. They cleaned out the car using a hose to wash the trunk. They then drove to Melinda's house around 3 p.m. Melinda found out that Amanda was at River Falls Mall and had her page, because that was time of the pagers, (laughs) claiming an emergency, then told her that they had killed Shanda and arranged to pick Amanda up later that day. Okay? So they're telling everybody what the fuck they did. Jesus Christ. So not only are they just disgusting fucking pig cunts. Yeah. They're stupid. Yeah. They're dumb as shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Now... Hold on. Melinda's friend, Crystal Wathen, came over, and they told her about what happened. So this is a totally new player, never mentioned before. Tell her what happened. (laughs) Then the three girls drove to pick up Amanda and bring her back to Melinda's house, where they told Amanda the entire story. While she did not believe it was true, she comforted Melinda, who was hysterical. Probably fake hysterics to get... You yeah, know. thank you. Yeah, because yeah. she wanted Amanda's attention. Totally. So both Amanda and Crystal were convinced when Lori went out to the car and showed them the trunk with Shanda's bloody handprints and stocks still in the trunk. Okay? So you cleaned it out with a hose, but you didn't get all that. So you're leaving tons of DNA evidence. Yeah. You're leaving fingerprint evidence yeah. from the victim. Completely. Um, you just told everybody and their mother that yeah. what you did. Uh, we can find a body. We can prove that, that, that it was burned. It matches up with your story. No, these fucking genius. These are just, you guys knocked it out of the park, girls. Yeah. Just knocked it out of the park. That's fucking totally, genius. Totally. I mean, it's horrible. So now there's a police investigation. Cause, fucking related to Lucas and Tools, what they are. That's, right? that's that kind of stupidity. <laughs> right? Well, it gets weirder. So late, later on the morning of January 11th, 1992, two brothers from Cannon were driving toward Jefferson Proving Ground to go hunting when they noticed a body on the side of the road. Ah, we found a body. Yeah. They actually initially thought it was a mannequin, you know, which we've seen that before. But upon exiting the vehicle, they realized it was clearly the burned body of a child. Okay? Now, they called the police at 10.55 a.m., and were asked to return to the corpse to wait for the police. You know, because they needed to point out where it was. I, I dig that, but I don't think that I honestly would be able to return to the corpse. That's yeah. Just, well, just check me. this out. David Cam, who was later acquitted of his own family's murders, he was charged with killing his family, was one of the responding officers. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then Jefferson County Sheriff Buck Shipley and detectives began an investigation collecting forensic evidence at the scene. Which I'm pretty sure these four twats left plenty. Oh, yeah. Well, just wait. (laughs) Now, they initially suspected a drug deal gone wrong. Okay. Because 12-year-olds are out there on deserted roads dealing drugs all the time. I'm sure they didn't know how old she was either, you know. And they didn't believe that the crime had been committed by locals. Wrong again. It is also to be noted that her body was posed in a suggestive position. And it, they thought it very obviously meant that it, this was done on purpose and with intech, intention. And they also found that the victim's face and hands were burnt in an attempt to keep her unrecognizable and un, unidentifiable. Okay. Shannon... 
Shanda's father, Stephen, had noticed his daughter was nowhere to be found early on January 11th. After phoning neighbors and friends all morning, he called his former wife, Shanda's mother, at 1.45 p.m., and they met and filed a missing person report with the Clark County Sheriff. At 8.20 p.m., a hysterical Tony and Hope actually went down to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with their parents, and they both gave very rambling statements, identifying the victim as Shanda and naming the two other girls involved as best they could and describing the main events of the previous night. You know, so they were overridden by guilt, obviously. So after an inter-county investigation, Shipley contacted the Clark County Sheriff and was finally able to match the body to Shanda's missing person report and detectives obtained dental records that positively identified her as the victim. Um, now, now the girls, you know, Melinda and Laura, Lori were arrested on January 12th the next day. Um, the bulk of the evidence for the arrest warrant was Tony and Hope's statements. Okay. The prosecution immediately declared their intention to try both Melinda and Lori as adults. Uh, For several months, the prosecutors and the defense attorneys did not release any information about the case to the media. They gave them only the statements made by Tony and Hope. Okay? Tony, Hope, and Lori all had histories of self-harming behavior. Lori was diagnosed with the borderline personality and the hallucinations. Um, Melinda was described as the ringleader in the attack, which is obvious, you know, and she had the most extensive history of abuse and mental health issues. Now, Lori and Melinda were sentenced to serve 60 years in Indiana women's prison in Indianapolis, which as co-defendants, they were housed together, but a lot of states only have one women's prison because women are less likely to offend than men. No, all you women are evil. Just saying. We just don't get caught. Yeah, exactly. Conniving fuckers. Yeah. We blame the abuse on you. Of course. Okay. Now let's talk about, you know, the sentences and what's happened since they were sentenced. Now, Lori, like I said, was sentenced to 60 years. Okay. She was released from Rockville Correction Facility on January 11, 2018. It was actually the 26th anniversary of of Shanda's death after she served nearly 26 years and she completed a year of parole. Okay? Now let's talk about Melinda. What happened to Melinda? In October of 2007, Melinda's attorney, Mark Small, requested a hearing to argue for his client's release. He said that Melinda had been, quote, profoundly retarded by his words, <laughs> not mine, because you know I hate that word. I am going to use that from now on. I just retarded profoundly retarded. You, you are profoundly retarded, but, you know. I, love, oh I hate that word, but he used it, not me. Continue on my profoundly yeah, retarded one. She was, this happened by childhood abuse. Moreover, she had not been represented competently by counsel during her sentencing, which caused her to accept a plea bargain in the face of exaggerated claims about her chances of receiving the death penalty, which we all know she was under 18. She never would have received it. It was unconstitutional. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So Small also argued that Melinda, who was 16 years old when she signed the plea, bar- plea agreement, was too young to enter into a contract in the state of Indiana without consent from a parent or guardian, which had not been obtained. Okay? So technically legal grounds for an appeal. Sorry. I like how you do that. Like, I need to give it a blowjob. Well, pretty much, yeah. Just trying to get you with the right dynamics. I can do it, too. That's why your customers are always happy. (laughs) Dude, I have never had a complaint yet, and it's not from customers, bitch. You like McDonald's, over 10 billion served. Continue. That's you, motherfucker. Not me, I'm sweet and innocent, I'm like a virgin. <laughs> Touch for the very first time. Yep, that's exactly it right there. Papa, don't preach. <laughs> okay, where was I? Um, if the judge accepted these arguments, Melinda could have been re- either retried or released completely at that point. But on January 8, 2008, Melinda's request was Rejected by the Jefferson Circuit Court Judge Ted Todd. Ted Todd. <laughs> judge Ted Todd. Oh my God! Change your fucking name. Oh shit. Instead, Melinda would be eligible for parole in 15 years, thus maintaining the original plea. Okay. Right. On November 14th of 2008, her appeal was denied by the Indiana Court of Appeals, who upheld Judge Todd's ruling. Small stated that he would seek to have jurisdiction over the case moved to the Indiana Supreme Court, but Melinda was released from Indiana Women's Prison on September 5th, 2019, after serving a little over 26 years in prison, and she will serve her parole in Jefferson County, Kentucky. Okay? Now, Hope was sentenced to serve 60 years with 10 years suspended for mitigating circumstances. So 50 years. Plus she would have 10 years of medium supervision probation on appeal. A judge did reduce her sentence to 35 years. Okay. I don't know if she's out already or not, but that's what I know from there. We can hope she's not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all the other ones are so. I know. It's, In exchange for false her cooperation, hope. I know, Tony was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement, and she was sentenced to a maximum of 20 years, and Tony was released on December 14th of 2000 after serving nine years, and she remained on parole until December of 2002. Okay? Now, here's some side note information. During Melinda's sentencing hearing, because remember we talked about the abuse that Larry inflicted on everybody, extensive court testimony revealed that her father, Larry, had abused his wife, his daughters, and other children. Consequently, he was arrested in February of 93 on charges of rape, sodomy, and sexual battery. Most of those crimes did occur, though, from 1968 to 1977. You know. You know. (laughs) Yeah, even over 69. (laughs) He went over it, yeah. So Larry remained in prison for over two years awaiting trial. Yeah, however, a judge eventually ruled that all charges except for one count of sexual battery had to be dropped due to the statute of limitations. Okay. Yeah, which was five years in Indiana. Now, Larry pled guilty to the one count of sexual battery, and he received a sentence of time served and was released in June of 95. 
a few weeks following his release, you're going to love this. He unsuccessfully sued the Floyd County Jail for $39 million in federal court, alleging he had suffered cruel and unusual punishment. Not one of these again. Wait, during his two-year incarceration, listen to this, among his complaints were that he was not allowed to sleep in his bed during the day or to read the newspaper. Fucking believable. (laughs) Why? Why do they... There really should be, in every state, a mandate to where somebody reads this shit and they see stupid shit like that and they literally just look at the person and go... No. Number one... You're in jail, motherfucker. You are profoundly retarded... Get the fuck out of here. His daughter's not, but he is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And Larry's kid, get the fuck in here. You retarded. And kick him out. He's stupid. Fucking between people and their soggy Cheetos and this asshole. And, and their smash sandwich crumble and, cookie. And uh, uh, the car. One that fucking, Duffy in his car. Yeah, and Duffy in his car. Mm-hmm. That fucking stupid shit, man. Well, actually, the car I kind of understood. You're in prison. What the fuck are you going to do with That's your money? That's true. Like, but for real. You're never getting out. Yeah. Take that car and shove it up his keister. <laughs> I'm such a... I'm not I'm a gem. One popsicle stick at a time. Bend over. <laughs> build a bridge and get the fuck over it. With your popsicle sticks <laughs> in right. your keister. Go eat some popsicles. Build a bridge. Get the fuck over it. So an interview with Shanda's mother, Jack, Jacqueline. Jack, Jackie? I think it's Jacqueline. Is her name Jackie and last name's off? No. Okay. Just ask. And it was friends. on the investigation discovery series, Deadly Women, which I've seen. Uh, she stated that uh, Shonda's father was so destroyed by his daughter's murder that he did everything um, he could to kill himself besides put a gun to his head and that he drank himself to death. The man definitely died from a broken heart. Because he died of alcoholism in 2005 at the age of two, at the age of 53. Damn. Now, yeah, I put that in the wrong area. Sorry. I've had that problem. Complaint. You putting that in the wrong area. I believe it because I believe you'd be like, oh, sorry. Oops. Okay, we can just continue, right? Yeah. No, we no, can you- keep going even though I'm in the wrong hole. No, you got to pay extra for that. <laughs> Shut up. Now, in the Shanda... me is that is that in a quote from somebody no the fuck me yeah no i just i did the cut and pasting with my you know because my researchers notes and shit and i was just like you know i put in the wrong spot okay so the shanda Scherer scholarship fund was established in january 2009 the fund planned to provide scholarships to two students per year from prosser school of technology (laughs) In New Albany, one scholarship would be given to a student who is continuing his or her education, and the other scholarship was, de- was to be issued to a student who is beginning his or career his or her career, and must buy tools or other work equipment. Okay, by November of 2018, though, Shanda's mother, Jackie, stated that the scholarship fund had been depleted and is no longer accepting donations. You know, so it kind of like stopped. 
In 2012, check this out. This this to me was a little heartbreaking, but it sh- no, but it shows the power of a mother. I believe um, Shanda's mother made her first contact with Melinda Loveless since the trials, although it was indirectly. Jackie donated a dog named Angel in Shanda's name to Melinda. No, it's not our Angel. To Melinda to train for the Indiana Canine Assistance Network program, which is where in and it's through Project to Heal, and it provides service pets to people with disabilities. Now they had a similar program here in Oregon where they actually give the dogs to inmates who will train them to be service dogs. And it's a way to help these inmates connect with something, you know, to keep them out of trouble. Now, Did the inmates teach the dogs to speak? Not really, but they teach them how to shut off lights and go oh, get okay. shit. And, yeah. You can just see a big ass, uh, like, uh, like... Like your German, dog who talks to you? Like Jim and Shepard, look her over and go, negative inmate. <laughs> negative female... Negative female inmate with the paw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, <laughs> and when you said that about German Shepherd and everything, because, you know, my my dog's Husky Shepherd mix. And today I was leaving and I said, go sit. Right. Because he was trying to get out the door. I said, go see. You need to sit. And he had to sit. And he goes. Whoop! And I was like, dude, I am so sorry, but you cannot go with me. So. um, So anyways, Melinda trained dogs for the program for several years. And Jackie reported that she had endured criticism over the decision, but defends it by saying, it's my choice to make. Yeah, exactly. She's Shanda. She's referring to Shanda. She's my child. If you don't let good things come from bad things, nothing gets better. True. And I know what my child would want. My child would want this. Now, Jackie stated that she hoped to donate the dog Every year and donate a dog every year in Shanda's name. Um, a documentary was produced um, by episode 11 productions that was entitled Charlie scars. And it captured Jackie's decision to allow Melinda to train dogs in Shanda's name. And the film also has three interviews with Melinda. I haven't seen that one yet. I don't know if it's on prime, but I'm going to look for it now. Um, my researcher, which I appreciate she did this because you and I always have final thoughts. Oh, yeah. She had final thoughts. And when I was going through them, I actually agree with what she says because I am a female and I was a teenage girl. Whoa. Back the fuck up. When did you become a female? You had the change done. Oh, my God. You should have told me. I had thrown you a party for that. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> Transformers. You'd have just bought me a cup. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know I love it. I just got to give you a hard time. But so many times in these interviews with pol- this is our final thoughts. Okay. Many times in these interviews with police and locals, we hear them say that this is that this crime is not something that anyone would suspect four teenage <laughs> girls of doing. But we think that, obviously, men don't have the experience of being a teenage girl. That's true. And the women have forgotten what it's like. Because a lot of grown women forget what it's like to be a teenager. You know? Not to say that we condone what they did at all. Because we don't. Okay? 
But as a teenager in general, and especially with teenage girls, relationships with your friends are everything. Oh, dear God. I thought you had a cramp or something. So, no, I don't want to smell your fingers, Scott. This is going to be great. It's like really soupy. How does soupy smell like strawberries? No! Get the fuck away from me, bitch. <laughs> I will scream rape on the air. <laughs> so, no me molesto. <laughs> si molesto. <laughs> Which, by the way, people, means don't bother me, but I love it. <laughs> Anyways, you know, because our relationships with our friends are everything when we're teenagers. Stop playing with your nuts. So... You never think beyond the present moment and those intense feelings you're having. No, it's true. At the time. Because as a teenager, you don't see past right now. You know, it's your end all be all. And it's impossible to turn off your raging hormones and those intense feelings. Okay. Now, teenage love especially can make a person, quote, a fool for love. All right. We can empathize with the jealousy, insecurity, rage, and powerlessness they must have been feeling. When you add in extensive childhood abuse, especially the sexual abuse, they were just one big ticking time bomb, and poor Shanda was ground zero, which I agree. Now, in the episode of Deadly Women that I saw it specifically said that they had the gang mentality at that mm-hmm. point. They had this leader. They all got caught up in the moment. It was the gang mentality. Well, plus they had that commonality. They had right. all those things that they share. Okay. Okay. Put this into perspective. Just from a psychology point of view. Right. How many people, as, you, as a teenager, would you have told about your situation, about being molested, that you knew for a fact were never molested or abused? Well, zero. Nobody. But if you found another girl... That came to you and said, hey, look, you know, like my, my dad's been kind of you know, fucking around with me. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, oh, my God, sit down. We can share this. And you two would bond over mm-hmm. that. Because nobody's going to somebody who doesn't share the same experience. That's something that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, this is what's going on. It's, 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 it's not. It's just not in nature. Right. Not no, thing. it's totally true. I mean, and I can, I can contest. I mean, I can attest to all this, anyways, because my incident happened out of gang mentality. Mm-hmm. We all got in the same mindset, and it just snowballed, snowballed out of control. And I, to this day, feel guilty and have regrets. You know, because I'm not the sociopath who has no emotions, except for when it comes to you. <laughs> Beaver damning me all the time. Anyways, but you know, my whole thing is, is so I understand. And I was a teenager at the time. You know, you get into that. Your friends are your everything because they're the only ones that understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Your family doesn't because half of them are victimizing you. Right. And a lot of the other family members who aren't take the side of the abuser because the abuser right. can do no wrong. That happened with me. Right. Yeah. You know. And all this shit that you get in, these are my friends, they understand me, we're all of one mind. And then, you know, it just gets to the point, I think it's raining now. That's called raining, it's raining men, hallelujah. No, it's not. I'm looking right at it, motherfucker. Oh, because I'm not seeing anything Hey, are we talking about, are we doing a weather report or are we doing a podcast? Hey. What, what are we doing, huh? That's right, thank you. 
Thank you, coffee. You're fired from talking. Thank you, researcher coffee you happy goddess. about that? No, you're, you just been fired from talking. I'll be you proud. You said that to me before, and I'm still talking. That's because i got to get a fucking tranquilizer, dark gun, and a shock collar. That's going into the budget. You're a bitch. Anyways, no, so I get, I under, I mean, I get the mentality level. I just don't condone the action because it happened, something similar happened with me and, you know, with the gang mentality, and I don't agree with it. But there's one thing that you're missing on this, and I think Laura's missing it too, and maybe uh, so is she and everybody else, is that the one thing that you didn't mention is where's the outlet for these girls who've been molested and abused? What outlet do they have to exactly. really get rid of those emotions? Yeah. Because you can't. Well, they didn't have the support of their family. Yeah, you can't internalize that shit fucking forever. Can't deal with it, yeah. Right. No, and you're right. I, I, I got an example, and I hope this person doesn't mind me using them as an example, but I know this person. And here was the situation. Living um, as an adult in her mom's house, okay? And her mom's husband, which would be her stepdad, a total fucking prick. Okay. Okay? Well, obviously, you can't scream at the prick yeah. at the time. I mean, it happens, but it can't be a constant thing like, hey, dude, every day, you're a piece of garbage. Fuck right off. I hope you die. Because that just causes more and more problems, right? So when me and this person started talking, uh, that person told me all about this. And, and it helped her not internalize that shit. Right. It was a lot better all around. I think it was a lot better all around. You know? Um, it, because if, if you hold that shit in, and this person here is just a sweetheart. Just yeah. a total nicest person you'd ever want to fucking meet in your life. Right. But even with that said, you can be the nicest person in the world. But if you start, oh. it, it's kind of like having a glass of marbles. As you're dropping these marbles of stressors and everything like that, pretty soon you're going to run out of fucking room, but you still got marbles. Yeah. And that's no, got to go somewhere. No, I agree. I agree totally with that statement because, I mean, I, I don't know if I've shared it on this show or not, but I know I've told you about it, is that when I was growing up going through the abuse with my stepdad, my brother's dad, um, I would fantasize, like, think about it, dream about it, you know, daydream about it. Think about hitting him in the head with a cast iron skillet. Because I wanted to hurt him. No, I can. I'm pretty sure yeah. that I can relate to that as so, well. So you know, so I had those fantasies. But when they told, when him and my mom sat us down and told us they were getting a divorce, I thought it was my fault because of my fantasies. Right. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I cried and said, "I promise I'll change. I'll do anything." You know. So I understand that. And I mean, you and I have shared a lot. Correct. You know, and I there's times when I'm processing through shit that I just share with you because you are actually a good listener, even though you can't be serious. <laughs> um, but here's here's why. Here's why. Here's why I can't be serious. Yeah, because you don't like to see people down. Right, and I like to bring everybody up. Yeah. And as, as much as everybody hears you and I bicker and shit like that oh, on air, yeah. I will assure all of you that that me and the entire staff that that oh yeah totally works under. This company, honest to God, we all truly do love each other. We do. We a do. Lot. I mean, and you and I say it all the time, because we do. We're like, I always say, you're bro my brother from another mother. Oh, yeah. You know, because totally, you and I joke around. We have that dynamic. Totally. You know? And like our, <laughs> our mutual friend said on speakerphone, you guys are like an old married couple. I said, because we are. So, yeah. He's my work husband. Yeah. The oh, totally. The only difference with us is if I divorce you, I don't get half of everything. 
Ah, oh, thank God, man. Because I'm, I'm saving that for your mom. I'm telling you, man. I'm gonna take her to Pound Town. You're so stupid. No, but you know what I mean. So I, like I said, I understand. I just don't condone because my outlet until I went to prison and got the counseling and the help I needed. My outlet was to do drugs and associate with other people who had the same issues. Not necessarily sexual abuse or all that shit. Totally. But the need to belong issue. Right. And so. that, that was my outlet from, from mm-hmm. my abusive past. I was never sexually abused, but uh, from being you know, physically abused and mentally abused was, right. you know, and being told I'm a piece of shit all my life is I, I did a oh, yeah. shit ton of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say a shit ton of drugs, we were talking about this last night because uh, one bump. of our. Huh? <laughs> Your bump. <laughs> Your bump. Oh yeah, <laughs> me and uh, and one of the researchers have yeah. the same drug of choice. Yeah, and uh, you know, doing a couple of eight balls a day. Oh yeah, plus a fifth of Jim Beam every day. Yeah, and if people don't know how big an eight ball <laughs> is, look at the fuck up. It's a shit ton. Shit ton, man. Yeah, and a fifth of Jim Beam a day, and that was just to maintain. Yeah, and eight ball is what an eighth of an ounce. An eighth of an ounce. Yes. So yeah. And that's a lot that's of a fucking lot. cocaine. That's a lot of fucking cocaine, It's a lot guys. of meth, too, because I did that much in meth, so. You know, but you, you medicate, so the people in the entertainment industry that I was hanging out with were associated with a lot of, co- there was a lot of cocaine use, and I got oh, it. Oh, God, yeah. I, mean, I got it for, where everybody else was sitting there going, man, I wish I found somebody. Could I was going to say, let's not Sebastian Bach and, Axel, Bach and Axel Rose. Yeah. You know, they were known for it. Dude. Entertainment it was, industry. It was handed out. Like, some people hand out business cards. I've been at freaking meetings uh, when I was still using Hey, such and such from over here sent you a little present, man. It'd be fucking eight ball of cocaine or whatever. You know, things like that. It's just, uh, it, it, we, I never had to go out there. Like, I wish I had that bottom of the barrel story, by the way. This, you know, because if you go, oh, yeah, ever go to an NA meeting, bottom, yeah. if you ever go to an NA meeting, the coke addicts mm-hmm. have the best stories. It's always something like this. There I was in a back alley. I'm giving blowjobs to midgets while a rhinoceros was sticking his horn up my butt. And I did that just for a little bump of cocaine because I needed it so bad. And then I had to I had to lick the bag clean. I don't have that. I, I, I bottomed out when I just woke up after doing a show and flew back home and looking up at my ceiling. Oh, fucking, I'm done. I'm just yeah. okay, clean. That's it. See, and my rock bottom was going to jail. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Incarceration like, kind of cuts down on drug yeah, use. When I went to jail over it and everything, I was like, you know, because basically it was a drug deal gone bad. And so when I went to jail over it, it's like this, I'm, it's not worth it to me. Not right. worth it. At but all. yeah, the, these girls are internalizing all this abuse, mm-hmm. with, and, and they're self harming. They're self harming, and it it just, it doesn't seem like any of the parents that are involved, except for the victims' parents, gave a shit. Gave a shit. So there's there, there's nobody that there's no safe place for them to go. And I hate using that term because it's become such a negative thing when we're talking about the liberals going. I need a safe place because it's raining outside. Yeah, and no. now I'm offended at it's the rain. A, it's, it's somewhere um, where they can. Work through and process right. what they're going through. Things yeah. like that. For and this is pretty serious shit. Where they need that safe place, mm-hmm. they don't have that. They don't have parents that are concerned sitting down, going. Especially with Melinda, that's that's my biggest concern. The ring, the ringleader because she was in a, a mental hospital. She was no, getting, that was Lori. Oh, Lori, that was Lori. Yeah, was Lori released? was in the mental hospital. No, but Melinda's <laughs> the one who slept with her father till she. Was oh 14. yeah, that's right. But you know, with all that going on. Like, okay, when we go with Lori, where is the monitoring of that child and all of them self-harming? 
where's the monitoring going? Okay, look, we need to kind of keep an eye on our kids mm-hmm. because this is this is the history and it happens a lot. Let's see what we can do to make them better. Right. And instead, they're like, hey, we fixed it for five minutes. I guess we're done. Yeah. It's, it's, we put it's you on enough. antidepressants and released you. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's fucking ludicrous. So well, yeah. I don't necessarily – I blame them for what they did because, for what they did because it, that's yeah, a horrible totally, thing. Yeah, totally, because what they did was not okay. Their parents should be just as liable mm-hmm. because where is – you, you protect your kids by offering them up structure. Right. You know, discipline – for actions that you do mm-hmm. and positive reinforcement. They got none of that. True. They, they got the, we can, if we can fix this in 15 minutes or less, mm-hmm. we're done. That's it. We're done. Yeah. You know, it's just. Put a band, slap a band aid on a gun. Pretty much. Wound. Pretty much. Yeah. That's all they well, because I remember a lot of the reason why I was drawn towards my friends, you know, was because I was told for like three, four years while sexual abuse was happening that. He was the only one that would ever love me. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. yeah. And so I got that in my head. So mm-hmm. when I had people that paid attention to me and seemed to care about me, I was drawn to, I was sucked in. Yeah. You know, and I craved it, you know? So it's, it's just a different, you, it was, it was a cycle of abuse. You can't deep throat it. I can. What does that tell you, bitch? <laughs> Get better customers than I do. Yeah, well, you're the one that said you were a bear and you brought all the dicks to the yard, but no, Roar, my mouth is bigger than yours. Boy, do I ever know it. it never I'd stops. teach you, but I'd have to chart. No, your milk's curdled. I said my mouth is bigger than yours. That's disturbing. That's so many fucking Dude, levels. you know that's exciting. Every guy loves it. <laughs> Are we okay, wrapping I'm this done. one up? I'm okay. done, yeah. Remember, you can send us an email at uh, brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, just type in at Brutal Nation. We should pop right up. And hey, send us some serious emails, man, because uh, you guys can tell me how fabulous I am. I, I can accept it, I can take it. This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue, LLC. All rights reserved. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.